Good morning, good morning, and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show, radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. Benny, yes, yes. yes. Um, I'm bringing in my cooling spirits. Please thank bring you. me more cooling spirits. <laughs> yeah, apparently um, there's no air conditioning in the radio station. And... Yeah, I mean, we've done pretty good for the, about a week now. And so we're waiting for, I know if people can see me online, parts, they say we were supposed to receive some parts. We did get a couple. It didn't work. So we had to get more and we're waiting for the arrival. You know, there's a big backlog, you know, for these parts, you know, apparently, along with other things in this world. Um, yep. But we're doing okay. I've been able to manage and hover it around 78. So not bad. Not bad. Not I'm, bad. I'm impressed with that. So thank you. You're in a you're in a long term sauna. Uh, sort of a yeah, it's not that bad. Practice. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I've got about five fans working for me right now. I've got one little baby one here on the counter right there. And if you can see, uh, I mean, I could show you the camera, but I don't want to, you know, bore everybody. No, no, I can I can see the calendar moving behind. Oh yeah, you. right. Like a little... <laughs> That's not just like yeah. my you know, magic that I can perform. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I got it. Well, I'm glad you're, you've managed to keep it kind of cool. Yeah. And it uh, like looks me. like we've got sun. Yes. Yes. Like you. Of Thank course. You. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And uh, we've got some great weather coming up. And we do. We've got the mm -hmm. 4th of July weekend. So I hope people are going to have a good time. Yeah. Yep. What and also stay safe for sure. And I don't know if you have any plans. We're just going to hang out and relax. I mean, I know mm -hmm. a lot of people are kind of pulling back this year, too. I mean, with the up, yep. you know, tick and the gas prices and so forth. But let's enjoy it. Have a good time and be safe. Yep. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I am Loretta Brown. I'm the owner of a Reiki Oasis located right here in the greater Seattle area for the last 27 years. And uh, we do lots of things over there. A couple of quick announcements. You can find out more about me at ReikiOasis.com. And then every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, you can join me for a meditation. If you cannot join me live via Zoom, you can sign up for the meditation and I'll send you a recording of it. And these meditations are just to help you. I mean, I call my business Reiki Oasis because the idea is an oasis, like step away from everything. Just take a minute, tune into yourself, maybe uh, get a little bit healthier in mind, body and spirit. And so they're, they're uh, gentle healing meditations. And I don't know, sometimes there's angels in there and things like that. It's, it's your experience. Um, also, a big shout out to my patrons. Thank you so much. I am a listener supported show and all of you help bring these wonderful people to the radio waves to hopefully bring some help and inspiration um, <laughs> to your life, right? We could all use a little drink of water once in a while. So we are leaving June on the tail end of the ultra sensitive June 28th uh, cancer new moon everybody's emotional cancer is a watery sign and just before this full moon peaked neptune entered pisces bringing in more watery energy i want to remind you that this little check-in with astrology is about energies for me and these energies are out there and we always are greater than all of this but you know if i look out the window and it's a a, a blizzard i'm going to dress differently than if it's 100 degrees sunshine so just be aware of it this Cancer New Moon also conjuncted something called the Black Moon Lilith, which represents the divine feminine flame that burns within all. This flame has been ignited 
in many of us recently, if it wasn't ignited before. And Black Moon Lilith is a mathematical point between the Earth and the Moon. It represents the rising of feminine consciousness out of repression and into a state of fullness. Take a breath and think about that. So the astrology shows us that there is much more to unfold. And I want to remind my listeners, we are coming out of the Kali Yuga. We're coming out of it. It's a time of, of darkness, darkness of consciousness, I might say. And my guest might even know more about it than I do. I don't know. Um, but we cannot solve our problems with the same sort of mindset that got us into these problems. And I've been doing a lot of talking with people, and I don't want to run off onto a a side note because you know my work is is spiritual and uplifting but i want to remind you that it it is sometimes those things that happen to us everything there's just one god call it god call it creator source whatever that created everything and these things are often there as opportunities to encourage us to move forward and become the very best that we can be so uh, it's a kind of a short nut nutshell of that right so black moon lilith mm, feminine power hmm what does that mean? You get to sort through that. I want to remind you, Mars, the planet of war and aggression, will be in Aries. It loves being in Aries, this fiery sign, from June 26th to August 10th. And this is going to bring innovative but aggressive energy that could erupt into violence if we don't do our part to stay away from it. As we step into July, we're going to receive a burst of, burst of high-frequency energy from the serious portal. And I don't mean serious S-E-R, like it's heavy. It's Sirius the star. Ancient astrologers called Sirius our spiritual sun, as it was believed to be a portal to the heavens. And from July 4th to 5th, uh, our sun aligns with Sirius, beaming high frequency energies our way and allowing us to soak up its heavenly vibrations. I think we could use that. As our sun warms our physical body, Sirius warms our spiritual body, and they merge together. It is a time to try to find balance and harmony between our body and our soul. The galactic energies from Sirius can also give us a boost, helping us to recharge and find new inspiration. In modern astrology, Sirius is associated with freedom and technological advancements, and we can also use this energy to support innovation in the area of technology and to find a greater creative freedom. Many people may receive downloads, uploads, uh, a greater connection to their higher selves, the divine, during this portal about the path forward. And um, I've been kind of noticing across the base of my clientele for quite some time now, a couple well, the last few years in particular, the last few months, maybe the last six weeks, everybody's kind of coming in with this. Um, it's kind of a, a question of, of what, what can I do now? What should I do now? What is my destiny? So there's a tugging at the heart of ourself to become who we're meant to be. Um, Sirius is also believed to be home <laughs> to an advanced alien race. I think the advanced alien race lives on planet Earth. But anyway, if you feel if you feel your starseed origins are from Sirius, this could be a tower, power time for you to reconnect with your Syrian gifts. Always, always, always 
remember that the divine lives within you and you are co-creator of all that is around us. So um, I'm, I just want to say, remember, everything is designed to help bring us to our highest path, especially on a collective level. So beautiful astrology weather to all of you. And I want to bring in my guest because I can't wait to talk to him. Um, I have today Rabbi Rami Shapiro, PhD, and he has a reputation apparently for being perhaps the most unorthodox rabbi you'll ever meet. Growing up, his mother, beautiful Jewish mother apparently, thought he might be the Messiah, <laughs> while his father was convinced he was a left mensch, I might have said that wrong, an airhead. He earned rabbinical ordination from Hebrew Union College in order to preach his ideas in synagogues and a PhD in contemporary Judaism from Union Graduate School in order to teach his ideas in universities. However, along the way, he's taken Bodhisattva vows in Zen Buddhism, became a 32nd degree Mason in the Scottish Rite, was initiated into the Ramakrishna order of Vedanta Hinduism, joined the Theosophical Society, published, I don't know, 36, 37, 87 books. I don't know, Rabbi, you're gonna tell us. And he had his poems included in prayer books and hymnals around the English speaking world. And he has also walked the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous more times than he can count. Hmm. We're going to be discussing his newest book, Judaism without, uh, I was going to say craziness. I don't know where that came from. Judaism without tribalism, a guide to being a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Wow. Welcome to the show, Rabbi Robbie. I'm so glad to have you. It is a delight to be here, Loretta. Thank you very much for having me. So can I? Yes, please. Jump in without even waiting for you to ask me a question. Yes. Um, I am absolutely enthralled with everything having to do with the divine feminine and the divine mother. Um, I've written two books on the divine mother or the divine feminine in Jewish literature, biblical literature. Um, I've got a third called um, The Gospel of Sophia, which I don't know if I'm ever going to publish, but it is, it is written. Oh. And, and I have had okay. multiple experiences of the divine mother and consider myself a devotee of hers, as well as all the other things. I mean, I, I'm very eclectic, uh, you can tell from my bio. But this whole notion of Black Moon Lilith uh, is really fascinating, and the rise of feminine energy. I'm not sure if we're, we're at the end of the Kali Yuga or in the middle. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I do think that we are, that the gift of Kali at this moment is the gift of creative destruction. Yeah. And we see that all around us. When I first started seeking guidance in this realm and, and sharing my experiences with teachers, I, it, what was explained to me was, is that the mother, her, her love for us is fierce. And it is a love that strips us of everything that's false in, in us and maybe in society at large, we may be seeing that, but it's not necessarily pleasant. She's not my mother who, yeah, thought I might have been the Messiah, <laughs> but you know, it's not like, oh, you can do no wrong. It's like, 
here's here's where you're stuck here's where you're trapped here's where you're imprisoned in ideas that are maybe self-serving you know ego serving but not self-serving with a capital s not soul feeding and certainly not society serving so i didn't know anything about the black moon lilith so just listening to you, you know, what you said i think that i agree that is what's happening i see it in a lot of other realms yeah. the mother is returning as a living archetype in our spirituality not everyone obviously people there are many men specifically but not only yeah. Yeah. Uh, people who are associated with the patriarchy in one way or another who are fighting her tooth and nail but um her return if that's the right word or her rising is going to be a harrowing and a cleansing for the entire planet yeah. cannot be avoided but may but can be mismanaged yes. um so I'd love to hear more about that, or if you wanted to talk I, more. About I that. love so much what you just said. I goosebumps the whole time, which is always my indicator of great truth. And, um, you know, I, I do Vedic chanting for those that know, right? And I have been doing a lot of Kali chanting and Durga chanting and Shiva chanting and, and also Paldan Lamo, you know, from the Tibetan uh, tradition, which is the, the fierce mother right who um you know there's a, a a kind of a you know to our western minds i think sometimes these imageries are are difficult for us to comprehend like what is this bloody raging <laughs> feminine you know thundering yeah. around but um this idea of creative destruction um you know and obviously something is falling while something is rising is and, and I, I'm with you. I'm always a little bit delicate around what kind of language I use around things um, because these things are hard to define, you know? Yeah, and very hard yeah. to articulate, at least very, for me. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. uh, but, you know, in, in the Jewish tradition, and we don't have to get off on this in, in detail, but in the Jewish tradition, in the book of Proverbs, uh, I'll be literal, chapter 8, verse 22, anyone who wants to look it up, uh, the Divine Mother speaks for herself, and she tells us that she is the first manifesting of the Divine, and that she's the mother of all creation, and that she delights in humankind. Uh, in chapter 9, after she explains a little bit about that, in chapter 9, the author, whoever that was, speaks of her in the third person and says that she established uh, a lodge you know, this is pre prehistory, she established a lodge that rests on seven pillars. And she sends out her apostles who were all women to bring in all humanity to study with her. And what we learn when we study with her, and I won't go through all this because I probably couldn't remember it anyway, uh, is listed in a book called The Wisdom of Solomon. Solomon studied with her and he learned pharmacology and zoology and botany and all, all the sciences that tell us how the world works as a way of getting in touch with how the divine functions in the material dimension. And for her to return, I mean, she's never disappeared in Catholicism. She's never disappeared in certain aspects of Hinduism. Uh, there's more about Mary, the, the mother of Jesus in the Quran than there is in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So she's, she's in different forms, she's been, She's not always disappeared, but in Judaism and in Protestant Christianity, she became a rarity 
or sort of sidelined, but she's never gone. So in the Kabbalah in the Middle Ages, she comes back as Shekhinah, the, the divine presence. When you experience God directly, you experience Shekhinah. So this God is somehow experienced as feminine. When you hear God, this is even older, thousands of years older, uh, according to the early rabbis, when they would hear the voice of God, and this is a completely patriarchal society, when you would, they would hear the voice of God, they spoke of it in terms of a bat kol, B-A-T, like bat mitzvah, daughter, bat, uh, kol, voice. They heard the daughter's voice. I would have thought they would have heard Charlton Heston's voice, you know, <laughs> that kind of masculine, you know, authoritative voice, but they heard instead the daughter's voice. There is something intrinsically feminine, though I don't know what that actually means, but something intrinsically feminine about our experience of the divine, even in cultures that are so patriarchal as to push women out of the spiritual hierarchy anyway, or a religious hierarchy anyway. So, Something is, she's always been there, yeah. but she's coming back more forcefully than she has in a long time. And this is going to be, I, I, you could say, I would say, this is the good news of the Kali Yuga. Yeah. That there is light at the end of the tunnel. It's just a fiery light that is going to burn away all the crap that we have established as normative um, in, our, in our lives. Wow. In our institutions. Yeah, I, I'm thrilled that you sh shared all that. I'm I'm just like, please keep just talk, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, what I really love, and I, I kind of want to point this out to everybody, it was one of the reasons why in my introduction, I pulled in all those things that you have been involved in. Um, you are, in, in my opinion, excessively unique in that you pull from all of these um, practices all of these religions and and yet you're Jewish you're a rabbi so can you talk a little bit about how did you about your journey you know like you know you started out as <laughs> the possible messiah incarnate right <laughs> I love that so much I'm sorry I just love it so much no it's okay I mean I she, love it she was serious when she I know and yeah. it was a midnight you know, she came into my room at midnight one day and said, are you the Messiah? And I, and I lied and I said, no, but, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, my, my journey is quite eclectic. I mean, I, I was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home and, but by the time I was in high school, I realized what I was, the religion I was raised in, I was outgrowing. It wasn't something I could grow into. It was something I was growing out of. And I was lucky enough, if luck's, you know, if there is such a thing, or it's, you know, beshared, it's faded, it's whatever, synchronism, um, to study with these two wonderful high school teachers, uh, Peter Santos and Michael Gelinas. They had gone to India for a summer, came back totally enthusiastic about all things uh, Hindu and Buddhist and Taoist, and they taught classes in the, in the history department on these things. And I took it, didn't know anything about it, and was completely, you know, I just embraced it all. I mean, even though some of it's contradictory, Hindus are not Buddhists, and they have fundamental differences. But I just, all of it was just so powerful for me. And, and what made it so powerful was two things. One, the notion that you are, you and I, everything in the universe is 
using Hindu language, is Brahman, is divine. And I love that non-duality. It just seems true. I I can't prove it, but I don't need, for me personally, I don't need to prove it. I look around and what I see, whether it's uh, animate, inanimate, sentient, non-sentient, what I see is the divine. I just, that's just what's there. And the other thing that that grabbed me with uh, the, the high school classes was there was a practice to experience it for yourself. Now, the teachers I had weren't, this is, you know, public school, so they couldn't teach you how to meditate. But they did say there are these practices. And you can go out, and I did. And I went out and found my own teachers in these different things. And you can test the validity of what the Buddha says. You can test the validity of what Ramakrishna says or Ramana Maharshi or any of these other people that I've studied either with them, which, of course, those two are dead, but, you know, with their disciples, you can test these things. In Judaism, claims are made uh, that you can't test. You have to accept on faith. Jews are the chosen people. You can't prove that. I reject that. I think the whole notion of a God who chooses one people uh, over others is, is just a marketing slogan for the people who claim to be the chosen. You know, just like Christians are saved and everyone else is damned and Muslims are true believers, and everyone else is an in, uh, infidel. So, I mean, those are marketing slogans trying to get market share, get you to join their group because you want to be part of the chosen. Who doesn't want to be chosen? Um, so so the, the craziness, like you said earlier, but I, I call it the tribalist na- uh, nature of religion. Those things I just couldn't get into. And because you can't test them, I can't trust them. So I could investigate the truth of mm-hmm. interconnection, codependent, uh, what is it, pratityat samutpada, codependent arising. And yeah, everything is arising in this moment together. And you can, you can test it, you can be it, you are it, but you can experience it. So that really attracted me. And then I moved on in college. I won't go through a year by year thing, but in college, I studied Buddhism. That was my major. And um, I worked under a wonderful um, professor who was also a pure line Buddhist priest, uh, Professor Uno, and his, he had a friend who was a Zen master, Joshi Suzaki Roshi. I sat in with Roshi. Um, my first one, Leonard Cohen, was the, called the Jiki Jitsu, the second in command. He was just <laughs> becoming famous. And, you know, this, was, this just totally shaped my life. But I never stopped being Jewish. Yeah. I mean, part of it is loyalty to my immediate family, loyalty to my tribe, because I don't have a problem with tribe. I have a problem with tribalism. Yeah. Uh, so I never yeah. stopped being Jewish. But what I did do is I started looking for these things in Judaism. And you could find them. In the end, and I'll just jump to, you know, now, I guess. In, in the end, what I am, though I'm interested in all these religions, and I've taught them, you know, in survey courses at the universities, at, at the, where I live here. Um, what I am is a perennialist. And a perennialist, just so we can, without going on too long, perennial wisdom is the fourfold truth that's found at the mystic heart of every religious tradition, but it's the mystic heart, not the corporate structure. And the four truths are very simple. We've already talked about the first one. Everything is a happening of 
the one thing. You can call it Allah, you can call it God, you can call it mother, whatever you want to call it, nature. It doesn't really matter. Like the Rig Veda says, truth is one, people call it by different names. So you have your name. But whatever your name of this thing is, the thing itself is infinite and non-dual. And we're all a part of it, just like every wave is a waving of the same ocean. That's point number one. Point number two is that human beings have an innate capacity to, to awaken to this. You can move from what Judaism calls narrow mind, mochin de katlut, to spacious mind, mochin de godlut, that knows that you are a part of this and never apart from it. Part, uh, the third point is that when you have this experience of your own divinity and the divinity of everything else, you cannot help but treat other beings uh, with kindness, compassion, love, justice. It's not a law from the outside that's being imposed upon you. It's just a realization of how best to live that's yeah. coming from your own experience from the inside. And then the fourth point is awakening to this. One of the words I use is from a Hasidic tradition a chayut or aliveness. So awakening to this non-dual aliveness and living by the golden rule or what the Bible calls also calls um, being a blessing to all the families of the earth, yeah. that's your highest calling. Those are the two things that comprise the highest calling of every human being. So when I go into Hinduism or Buddhism or Mason, Masonic teachings or theosophical teachings or Wicca or you know whatever I'm looking at, I'm only interested in the perennial. If they're dualistic, okay, fine, but it's not for me. But if it's non-dual, if it's, if it's experiential, and if it has that ethical component, then I'm interested, but there's no conflict. There's no conflict among mystics. The conflict is among the corporate elites of these different religions, because they're fighting for their own superiority and their own power and control. But the mystics aren't, aren't like that. Can, can I go on with one more thing? I mean, I, I'm just sort of babbling here, but just to make it concrete. Yes. <laughs> in 1984, Father Thomas Keating, who along with uh, Father Basil uh, Pennington created the Centering Prayer Movement based on Benedictine teachings. Father Thomas Keating convened the first of a 35-year experiment that he called the Snowmass Group because we met at his monastery in Snowmass, Colorado. And he brought together 12 individuals from 12 different traditions. Um, some of us knew one another. Most of us did not. The one thing we all had in common was that we were contemplatives. We were regular meditators, chanters, praying people, whatever. And we would live together at the monastery for a week. I, that's how I remember a week, maybe 10 days. And we would follow the life of the monks when they prayed at four in the morning we were up and we were sitting with them we were praying but when they went to work we meditated together and then we we dialogued together from the very first time i went it became clear i think clear to everybody there that while we all had our own language for explaining what we were doing while we all had our own methodologies we were all having the same experience. I'm going to put experience in quotes because experience implies that I was there. But really, when you have that experience, you're not there anymore, right? Rami's gone. There's just whatever. And I can't, there's no one there to look at it. 
But when Rami comes back, then I try to articulate the resonance in, in Judaism is called Rishimu, the fragrance. Um, it's like the fragrance of perfume after the perfume has evaporated. But there's a fragrance that's left that you know something happened. And then you try to explain the fa- fragrance in Hebrew, in Sanskrit, in Japanese, in Greek, and whatever, you know, whatever Arabic, whatever tradition you're working in. And you use the vocabulary of your tradition. So it sounds different. But when you're sitting in a room together for a week talking about this, you discover, no, we were all going to the same place, which was the source. And that's the perennialist position. And there is no conflict there. Um, But you see around the world in every, almost, I guess, in many countries, I don't know how many, you know, the opposite happening where Hindus are killing Muslims in India and, you know, just all over the planet you could you could go through every every major group they're all fighting amongst one another yeah over language yeah. basically but they're not mystics right and, and that's what i'm interested in is the mysticism because that's where the heart is and i think that's what the mother leads us to when she burns away everything that's unnecessary she's burning away the corporate structure and leaving you with the beating heart of the universe wow. and the mystic um truths that emerge from that. Wow. Big, beautiful. Thank you. Um, and long. <laughs> no, no, it, it was perfect. I'm, I, I'm, we're going to take a break, but I want to say something um, before we go. Um, I lived in Saudi Arabia for between eight and nine years. And during that time, I was on a religious quest and, and um, was finishing up a degree. And couldn't attend university, so I was doing a, a long distance course and uh, was challenged to, to quote, read the holy books of the main religions and kind of try everything on and then write a, a dissertation. And I, <laughs> I'm just sitting here with my mouth hanging open. My discovery was that it didn't matter what doorway I went through, I had to go deep enough to where I had that experiential thing where I, I ended up in the heart is what I said. I ended up in the heart of divine where all there was was love, if you could say that. But um, I, at that moment, experienced everything that you just said. And when people try to pin me down and say, what are you? I've always said I'm a mystic, mm-hmm. you know. So thank you so much for that. Um, this is Loretta Brown. My, my guest today is the amazing Robbie Ramai, uh, Rami Shapiro. I'm sorry, I can't even talk. And his book is a Judaism Without Tribalism, a guide to being a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And by the way, I was also told at that point just to be a shepherdess. So I am like, let's just let's just do this. So anyway, Benny, let's take a little station break and don't go away because when we come back, we're going to talk about God versus God. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. All right, we'll be right back. Energy is powerful. It's all around us, mysterious, full of potential. Directing positive healing energy to raise your vibrational rate through Reiki can change your life. Reiki master Loretta Brown has relieved stress, sadness, anger and even helped clients lose weight stop smoking and end sleep disorders worldwide people have sought out reiki oasis if you want help with your dis-ease visit reikioasis.com 
harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Have something important to say? Want to help improve our world? Need to promote your business uniquely and effectively? KKNW is the answer. Our staff helps broadcasters and podcasters create professional-sounding audio. Bring your talent and let our experts help you craft a radio show or podcast that best delivers your message. Learn more at 1150kknw.com. That's 1150kknw.com. KKNW, talk variety that's live and local. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. Oh, that's so beautiful, Betty. Thank you. Welcome back to the original Loretta Brown show. I am Loretta Brown. You can find out more about me at ReikiOasis.com. And just a reminder, all of these shows are archived. You can download them for free and listen to them anytime you want at the archives for the original Loretta Brown show at 1150 KKNW. And of course, we're on iTunes, iTunes, Podcast One, Spotify, (laughs) Audible. We're all over the place. We're also live on 1150 AM YouTube. My guest, Rabbi Arami Shapiro, I'll try to talk. My tongue will not talk today, Rabbi. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) I'm all excited. Anyway, his book is Judaism Without Tribalism, A Guide to Being a Blessing to All the Peoples of the Earth. And what a wonderful conversation we're having. Um, I would like for you to talk about, because you bring out so many really thought-provoking and good things in your book, um, I want I want you to talk about the truth of gods with a small g gods and God and and go into that a little bit and that might lead into you know what is tribalism right and what is it without tribalism so you yeah I mean we've talked about that. it a little bit I mean mm-hmm. God with a capital G is reality itself. Right, so so it's this non-dual, uh, intrinsically creative process happening. I mean, the Hebrew word um, there's in the book of of Exodus when Moses meets God at the burning bush, and Moses says, "So, what's your name?" I got to tell people I I can't go back and say I was talking to a shrub, and they said, <laughs> "Let's live in Egypt." So, tell me who you are, and he wanted something deeper than what the people had known before and and god you know it's a story i don't I, I think scriptures are human documents so this is a story we're getting more of the theology of the author than anything else but in the, in the story god reveals two names to moses in that experience the first one comes out as ehia which means well in english we usually translate it i am but it's not a good translation it's it's, it's is the verb to be first person in sort of a future imperfect so it's this it's this eyeing it's better as a gerund than as a noun because mm. it's it's a verb form ehia. so it's like god says i am the eyeing of the universe uh and then this is not how it's put in the bible but this is sort of how you look at it and then god says oh wait don't say that they won't understand that so then come god comes up with the second name which is the unpronounceable literally because it's just four consonants the unpronounceable name, which is um, yud heh vav heh in Hebrew, or Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H in English. And that's the same verb, the verb to be, in the third person imperfect. So um, when I'm looking out at the world, I'm seeing the yud heh vav heh happening all around me. When I'm, uh, when I'm awake to it, 
I no longer see it as an object. I now see it as subject. And then I speak of Echia. Jesus oftentimes speaks from the perspective of Echia. I mean, Jesus is a Jew. This is his material. So unfortunately, when Christians read it later, they disassociate it with its, its root tradition. And I think they misunderstand it. So when Jesus says, um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Christian corporate religion says, well, Jesus alone. I mean, now we're into tribalism. Jesus alone has this experience, and you have to go to Jesus and worship Jesus, and the way you worship Jesus is through this denomination or that denomination or the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church, whatever wherever it happens to be. If Jesus, I mean, Jesus wasn't a Christian. He never heard of it. So Jesus is a first century Jewish mystic, and I define mystic as someone who is uh, seeking a firsthand experience of the divine, not secondhand. He doesn't talk about God. He's, he experiences God. He experiences himself as the divine, uh, which if he did in India, everyone would say, oh, good for you. We joined the club. That's right. But he did it in the Middle East, and, and you know, not everyone understood But when he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, or I am, uh, you know, I and and God are one or, you know, whatever, he's got a multiple, I think there's seven of these I am statements that he makes in the Gospels. When he's saying that, he's speaking from the Echia. He's not speaking from the little egoic self of Jesus. He's speaking from the capital S self-realized aware, you know, divine awareness that each of us carries, though not all of us access. So when he says, I am the way, he's not saying Jesus is the way. He's saying this I am consciousness is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the divine except through this level of consciousness. So let's, you know, then I don't know. He doesn't necessarily tell you how to do it, but Buddha might and uh, Ramakrishna might, and there are other sources you can go to to find out how to get into this I am consciousness. So the God with the capital G is this eyeing of the universe, is the happening of the universe that's revealed in Torah, in those two words. Gods with the small g are all the gods who are in service to the men who promote them. And you can tell the difference. God with a capital G has no church. God with a small g always has church or synagogue or, you know, some or institution. God with a capital G never needs money. God with a small G always needs money. God with a capital G never has an army. God with a small G always has an army, or at least when, when it can, it has an army. So gods that are about conquering, gods that are about control, gods that are about patriarchy, gods that are about hierarchy, these are small g creations of the imagination of certain human beings who are promoting their own status and power and using lower g, lowercase g, God, to establish their, their status and power. Capital G God, that's where the mystics go. And again, to quote the Rig Veda, truth is one, people call it by different names. It doesn't matter what you call it. Yeah. When I'm work, when I'm practicing zikr with a sufi teacher Mm -hmm. and we're chanting allah i don't care it's not like no 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 i can't say allah i have to say you know or something 
Right. It doesn't matter because you know the word it's, I mean, first of all, it's really all about vibration, but you know that the word is taking you somewhere beyond language. It's just a, a gateway to something else. Yeah. So you don't fight about these things, but in certain religions, you fight about them all the time. Yeah. So that's, I, I hope that makes sense. That's the difference. Um, yeah. You, you're activating all kinds of things in me. And I'm thinking about, uh, several, you know, because there's so many ways to say this to me, it's kind of like an elephant in the room, right? Um, I, I could say the, am I being guided externally by a set of rules or internally, right? By, the, I, I could say the embodiment of it or the connection yeah. to it, right? Um, am I be following my head? Am I following my heart? You know, is this an exclusive club and you've got to wear the, the red jersey to get in? You know, like, what do you do? And um, I read your book, right? Like I, I really read it and, and resonated with it at so many levels because we, you know, I look out across the world and there's always this division based upon this exclusive club concept, right? My God, my God. So do we all worship the same God? No, yeah. because when we talk about worshiping God, we're usually talking about the small G God. Right. So are we all experiencing the same divine reality when we're doing, you know, contemplative practice? You know, Brahma Krishna, um, I don't know what you want to say, you know, tested out Christianity and said, oh, it's there too. And then he went to Islam. Those are the two big religions besides Hinduism right. and, and uh 19th century India, and he said, look, it's the same, I'm having the same experience. Yeah. But the gods of any given, the god of a church and the god of a synagogue and the god of a, a mosque or the god of a, a Hindu temple, those are usually lowercase g gods. Uh, when the mystics talk about, you know, the, their divine, they may go through the doorway of Ram, but they're ending up in Brahman. The, the infinite, unnameable reality. So, so worship, it depends where your worship goes, I guess. If the worship is self-serving, then it's just the lowercase g. If your worship, though, can take you beyond the God to God, you know, the capital G, right. um, yeah, then, then we're having the same experience, just like in the Snowmass group with Father Thomas Keating. We all went through our own doorway, but we found ourselves in the same room. Yeah, yeah which is, like I said, what I experienced without knowing that, right? Um, I, I, um, I want to ask you, you know, because I, I really, um, how do I say this? You are very unorthodox, and I actually am enjoying it a lot, right? Because you really have a message for everybody, uh, not just Jews, but I, I, I want to ask you, what, it, what is the most important thing that Judaism brings to the world? And what is it? I mean, you are saying it, but what is the message you really want to bring? Well, I mean, the message I want to bring is that the non-dual message of, of, of the message of the non-dual reality of which we're all a part. If we can get that, everything else will take care of itself right. because then, you know, we're all part of this singular reality. We won't commit suicide by destroying the planet and we won't commit, you know, genocide by destroying other people's. But the question of what Judaism has to offer is a different question. 
because yeah. I think each religion has something very powerful to offer in and of itself, not taking it outside itself and saying, oh, they're all pointing to the same reality. The mystics do that, and, and I'm, that's my thing. But, um, you know, Christianity has an, something to offer that Buddhism doesn't. Um, when we're talking on the social level, we're talking on the psychological, archetypal level, each of these religions has something powerful to offer. When it comes to Judaism, I think that what Judaism has to offer that I, I would say no other religion does or does as strongly is it invites you to wrestle with the divine reality that you encounter, not, not the non-dual God, capital G, that you just, oh my God, there's, there's no wrestling, it's just the reality, I see it. Yeah. But Judaism calls us, I mean, the, the name Yisrael, which is the name Jews are given, um, in the in the Genesis in the book of Genesis, um, means to wrestle with God. So it's it's this iconoclasm that Judaism brings. It's um, this willingness to say to say to tradition, no, that makes no sense. I mean, you could look at the history of Judaism as a history of arguing, yeah. of Jews arguing <laughs> with one another about what yeah. the truth is. Yeah. And even I won't go into you know, details, but but in the you can even find stories where God says, "Hey, look, this is the answer," and the people say, "No, it isn't." <laughs> you know, we're not we're not doing that. So so this this ability to argue now it's we're not talking mystics now we're talking on a on a different level, right. but the capacity to question and to argue and to explore. Uh, is I think I think essential to Jewish culture, and it's one thing that that Jews bring. I, I was uh, lecturing. I've been to India, not often enough, but four times, and I was teaching at uh, the Ramakrishnamat in uh, uh, New Delhi. It was the 150th anniversary of the birthday of Swami Vivekananda, and they invited teachers from all around the world to to talk about their traditions in relationship to to Vivekananda. And Vivekananda said uh, something to the effect that every religion brings its own genius to the table. And the question we were all asked was, so what's your genius? And I talked about this arguing thing. Afterwards, during a break, uh, I was swamped by swamis. <laughs> that's, a, that's a phrase. Uh, that sounds these, like a song. <laughs> yeah, all, all these swamis came up to me and they said, how can we do that? How can we challenge our teachers? How can we challenge our texts? How can we wrestle with all this mm -hmm. material? And I said, well, that's, I, I don't have an answer to that. I mean, become Jewish, you can wrestle with Jewish <laughs> texts. But, but you know, they, they, to them, it was shocking. I've given similar talks to, to uh, priests in the Catholic tradition who also said, you know, we, we can question up to a point, but we can't really argue. And you don't argue with Jesus. So, right. um, so anyway, I mean, that's, that's a long way of, of saying argument and wrestling with these big concepts is, I think, key to what Judaism brings to the world. Um, I love that. And you do have a chapter in your book about Yish Yishrael, right? The God wrestling right. and, and kind of what comes out of that. Right. There were three things and I don't remember what they were, but um, I don't either. And I wrote the book. So, <laughs> right. You know, that's always the problem, is it? Isn't it? People are like, well, on page 75 and you're like, I don't know. Right. No, I have no yeah, idea. Uh, I have no I, idea. I, like you said, I've written 36 books. And if you ask me about any one of them, unless I have it in front of me and I can look it up. 
Yeah. I, I can't remember. Yeah. 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 I get it. So um, you have touched on this a little bit, but you were talking about, uh, I want to ask this question. What is the Jew in tribe tribalist Judaism and, and, and who, or what is a Jew in Judaism without tribalism? So my, and this is really, I mean, as, as, controversial as my theology might be yes no one really cares but when i talk about who is a jew then a lot of jews get very upset yes so you know sorry sorry to ask that question you know in the standard way of 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 answering the question who's a jew when i was young a jew is someone born to a jewish mother and then decades later it was expanded a mother or father i find those or someone who converts to judaism under a uh, an authorized authority and then you can fight over who's who's a legitimate authority and jews do that all the time i don't find either of those tribalist um understandings of of any value i mean in the book i'm i'm sort of flippant because i you know i I talk about uh you know just if if this isn't true but if my mother were a ballerina that does not make me a ballerina right (laughs) so it, it has to be something volitional on my part so from a non-tribalist perspective, which is just my personal perspective, uh, a Jew is someone who calls themselves a Jew. I mean, that's it. I mean, if, you're, if your mother's Jewish and you don't call yourself Jewish and you say you're nothing or you're Zoroastrian, to me, I mean, conventionally, traditionally, you're still Jewish. But to me, if you don't want to be identified as a Jew, you're not a Jew. I'm not going to make you do it because, oh, I found you have DNA or something. You know, that's, that to me is, is silly. So the, the, the base answer, the basic answer is who's a Jew is someone who calls themselves a Jew. But then I would say there's a Jew, just someone who calls themselves a Jew. And then there's a serious Jew or an engaged Jew. And that's someone who and there's many avenues for doing this, but someone who is engaged in Jewish life in one way or another. And I have my biases. And so for me personally, without uh, making a person conform to any traditional religious standard, I think a serious Jew is someone who looks at their consumption and tries to elevate it to the highest environmental and ethical standards they can muster. And that's what I think kosher is all about. I think a serious Jew uh, celebrates Shabbat in one way or another. I'm not saying you have to go to synagogue. I'm not saying you have to, you know, give up, um, you know, your electronics. And I mean, I, I'm not telling you how to do it. For me, it's it's a break from the digital life that I that I live, and and, and it's a a day for, I mean, you could say rest, but it's mostly really a day for play. You know, I engage with my grandson and whatever, but um, but I think you have to have some kind of Shabbat and some kind of kosher to be a serious Jew. But then, you know, you could do it totally different. Say, no, I'm totally engaged in in um, social justice, and I do it as a Jew. Well, I'm, that's a serious Jew also. So there are different ways: art, literature, uh, social action, with, um, religious observance, spirituality. I mean, there's a range. Of, of ways to get into the seriousness of Judaism. But bottom line is you have to identify as a Jew. And if someone comes and says, not that anyone is gonna say this, I don't think, but my mother's not Jewish, my father's not Jewish, but I'm Jewish. I don't, so okay, you're Jewish. 
right? It's not like, well, wait a minute, I need to see your conversion card, like there was such a thing. I, I, need, I need some credentials. I don't need credentials. If you want to identify as a Jew, identify as a Jew. It makes no difference to me. Ideally, you become a serious Jew in one way or another, but I'm not going to argue over who is a Jew. So in, we've only got like two minutes left, believe it or not, but I want to ask you this question. Why does the world need Judaism? And also, because your, your subtitle here is a guide to being a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. So Yeah, so very quickly, in um, the, first, the first chapter of Genesis, people are created and they're alien to the planet. The world is doing fine. The garden is fine. Everything is thriving and people are plopped into it with nothing to do. So they're told to dominate it. In Genesis 2, the world is barren. And it's lacking two things, rain or water and humans to nurture it. And so where it says in chapter 2, verse 15, that the role of the human being is to protect and to serve the garden. And the word for serve is the same word as to worship, avodah. So it's a, it's a holy service. And then in Genesis 12, you get the story of uh, Avram and Sarai become Abraham and Sarah who are told to leave home and go to this new status of being a uh, new, new level of consciousness. Uh, and, and what's the purpose? And then it says in verse three of chapter 12, to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. So Adam and Eve are not Jews. Abraham and Sarah become the first Jews. So the, the ideal human mission is to protect and serve the planet. <clears throat> and then the specific Jewish way of doing it is to engage with all beings, human and otherwise, uh, in such a way that you're a blessing, that you serve their thriving. And that's why Judaism is, when, you know, Judaism, as I understand it, is important because it teaches you how to be a blessing wow. to all the beings of the earth. I love that so much. So everybody, uh, my guest today, Rabbi Rami Shapiro, and, and really, you don't have to be Jewish to read this book. It's really very beautiful. Judaism without tribalism, a guide to being a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And it might... Um, for those that are Jewish, it's going to give you some things to think about, and, and many of you may resonate with that. And for those that are not Jewish, it's going to help you understand some things better, is what I'm going to say. So, um, last words, real quick. Yeah, if you're Jewish and you read the book, it might give you lots of things to argue about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Uh, go ahead and get the book now, and everybody have a wonderful, wonderful 4th of July. Be safe, uh, stay in the light, lift yourselves up, and uh, lots of love. Thank you so, so much, Rabbi Rami Shapiro, well, thank for being you, my Loretta. guest. Really, really enjoyed it.